When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast with me, George Scott, the Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar. Today, I'm joined by Simon Warren, the author of the 100 Greatest Cycling Climbs series of books. Simon's latest book covers the 100 Greatest Climbs on mainland Spain, plus Mallorca and the Canary Islands. In this podcast, we're going on a whistle-stop tour of six of Simon's favourites, so let's get into it. Simon, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, you're you're very well known over the last what, decade or so for your well-known love of, uh, of all things climbing and writing about the world's greatest climbs in, in your series of books. But why Spain for the latest book? I think basically because I'd done France, I'd done Italy, um, and I needed to do Spain to complete the uh, trilogy of, of Grand Tour nations. So how does it work when you're writing a book? Do you take yourself out there and, and put yourself, lock yourself into the, the torture chamber on each climb and, and get that real-life first-hand experience for readers? Oh, yeah, you have to, you have to ride a climb. I, I take my inspiration from my dad, who said, because he's a, an ornithological ornithological artist he says you can never paint a bird unless he's seen it in flight which i think was pretty much so he could go bird watching all the time and give an excuse to my mom while he was out so i take the same approach to, to to cycling writing about a mountain unless i've ridden it then how can i possibly describe what it's like so yeah many trips to spain over a course of the year of years uh, to actually gather the information it's, it's quite an undertaking well, hopefully we'll we'll kind of get an understanding of that as we talk through this podcast. We're going to cover six of your favourite climbs or six climbs that you've recommended from the hundred in in the book. But to start, Spain is clearly a huge country we're all fairly familiar with. But is there anything that typically characterises a Spanish high mountain climb versus what we're used to seeing in the Tour the or the Giro, for example? Uh, there's a lot of diversity across the nation. Um, I say generally they're not quite as high. However, down the bottom, um, you've got the highest road in the whole of Europe. So I don't know really. Nothing that really says it. You couldn't, you know, if you dropped there, this is totally Spanish. I mean, on the whole, I think the road services are the best I've ever ridden. Uh, there are times when you just, it, it's just, you know, it's just immaculate, like some kitchen work surface. They are beautiful. You know, this real craftsmanship goes into creating their roads. So I think that maybe would tip it, you know, something that would, that would sort of characterise a Spanish, a big Spanish mountain. But yeah, a long road that goes uphill is a long road that goes uphill, no matter where it's set. Well, hopefully we can we can paint a bit of a picture for our listeners and uh, inspire some people to get out there. Um, so let's get into it. We'll start with our first climb, which is number 38 in the book, but it's one that a lot of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, will be familiar with because that's it's the Angleroo. It's one of, if not the hardest Grand Tour climb, and it's a 10 out of 10 on your book. If you could go to 11 out of 10, would you for the Angleroo? 
Uh, no, because they are harder in the book. There's, uh, and there's three 11 out of 10s. Okay. So it doesn't even get that. Um, but the Angler is it, it's just really famous. It's probably the most famous climb in Spain now, even though it's only been on the radar for a couple of decades. And the one climb, it was the first road that ever beat me. Uh, the first time I was out there, I think it was 2012 or 2013, I went to the Welter I only had a 39 at the front and a 28 at the back and I got to the really steep bit and I had to walk and I was crestfallen. Um, I didn't walk, I ran because Strava was, you know, was uh, recording. So I made sure I kept moving as fast as I could. And then when the gradient eased up a bit, I got back on. Since then, I've been back. I went back early morning a couple of years ago and and with a with a compact fitted and I I, I regained regained my pride. But yeah, it's a it, it's a famous road made famous by the Vuelta. It's a climb that changed Grand Tours uh, because after that was included, it's like everyone said, wait wait a minute, they've used this crazy stupid road. You know, the organisers of the Gyro and the Tour thought, well, we've got to find some crazy stupid roads too. And um, so it just sort of changed the landscape. Well, you mentioned at the start of the podcast how the, uh, a lot of the climbs in Spain don't necessarily reach the heights of some of the high mountain climbs in, in France or Italy. And that's the case here. So the summit altitude is 1,570 metres, but there is a height gain of more than 1,200 metres. So you're not starting far off sea level uh, in northern Spain, but the, the numbers speak for themselves here. So it's 12.5 kilometres at 9.9%, which to me sounds frankly ridiculous. But then the peak gradient, 24%, is right at the very top. It, it is. Um, and you know, the first half is it was reasonably gentle, but then you come to sort of an open plateau in the middle. And from then on, you know, you barely touch your saddle. It, and it's that relentless steep climbing that, that gets you with no respite, um, no chance to sit and pedal. Then you, you, you're just done for. You get into the, you know, you go into as the red, they say, and you just can't recover. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sort of co- compound, horrendous climbing is, you know, it breaks even the strongest riders. Well, you mentioned when you first visited the Anglery, you had a 39 tooth chambering on the front and a 28 on the back of the cassette. I know this is a climb going back to, say, the Alberto Contador years, where he was swapping in the uh, the Wi-Fi gearing from SRAM at the time, which which offered a, a much wider range than what the pros were typically using. So what would you recommend for anyone who does enough training to perhaps you know get by on a, on a typical climb or typ- typical mountain, but to really go and have a good attempt at the Anglery? What, what kind of gearing do you need? Well, just go to your bike shop and say, what have you got? You know, <laughs> if you can get a clown skier of a 30-30, then take that. Uh, I mean, you, you stand a compact 34 at the front, so you, you definitely need one of those. And I've only got a short cage rear mech at the back, so I can't really go much bigger than a 29 or maybe a 30. I've never had a 30. Um, but I would say, yeah, 34-30. Just for the, that ease of being able to you know, still pedal when it gets really steep. Um, I mean, back in the day... It was only because of sort of modern bike technology uh, sort of coming on a bit that they could actually use it. But even on that first descent, I think Dave Miller famously tore his number off in disgust at the top and got disqualified because he was so horrified of having to ride something so steep. I think the bad weather of the day might have uh, um, played a part as well. But yeah, it was a while before, you know, 34 chain rings were introduced into the peloton and they could actually get up the climb sensibly. Well, luckily, I think for a lot of riders now, the option to run easier gearing is easier with derailleurs that can accept wider cassettes. And typically most uh, 
off the shelf bikes are coming with compact or semi compact gear now rather than the the old 5339 it's quite hard to find a, a new bike with a 5339 or a 5439 on these yeah. days um but proper gears um but find the easiest gear you can i think that's the the takeaway from that one well let's move on to the second climb which not as tough as the angleroo but perhaps even better known because it's in mallorca you've got a whole section a whole chapter in the book on mallorca and it's sacalobra this is one that i've ridden but tell the story of the of the sacalobra because it's not only a fairly difficult climb but it's an absolutely incredible piece of road it is and it's one of those roads that you know you look on strava you know hundreds of thousands of people have ridden it the same as like box hill or outdoors it's one of the roads you know everyone wants to tick off their list so everyone who goes to mallorca goes straight to sacalobra um the top tip is get there early because it's a one-way road so you have to descend it first you get a good look at the road and then you turn around and then ride back up uh, full pelt um but if you you have to go early because at about ten I think it's about ten o'clock they start taking coaches down to take tourists to the village at the bottom. So get there early if you want to do a, a, a good ride. Otherwise you get in the in the traffic. But it, yeah, it's it's perfectly smooth. It's ten kilometres, so it's not too long. It's never that steep. It's never stupid grades. I don't think there's much over ten percent from recollection. It twists and turns. It even goes in in loops in itself. It's just beautiful um set on you know the perfect island for cycling you know you could not create a better road well it's a road i think if you if you asked a, a roller coaster engineer to design a piece of road this is the kind of piece of road that they would come up with because you mentioned it, it turning back on itself there's there's the corkscrew at the top of the descent and as you've alluded to you have to descend to the bottom of the climb it's quite unusual in that respect isn't it? you have to descend from the top you have to climb to the top Yes. via one of the many routes into the mountains in Mallorca, descend to the bottom of Sacalobra. And uh, if you haven't liked what you've seen on the way down, then tough because you've got to go back up. Yes, but yeah, there are no horrors. That's the you know, thing, you know, something like the Angular route, if you had to do that, you, you wouldn't want to get back up. You'd wait for the taxi, but um, you know, there's nothing that's going to scare you on Sacalobra. So you, you, you can give it some welly, uh, no matter what state of fitness you're in. And, and you feel good about yourself, like climbing on a, you know, like a 7 8% gradient um and they're just wallowing the you know the beauty of it all it's a six out of ten in in the book so uh yeah a, a fair step down from the angler but it is a climb that um anyone visiting mallorca likes to test themselves on and interesting in that because so many pros have been to mallorca on a training camp you can see just how far behind the rest of us are from uh pros who are on a different level or a different planet exactly uh, tom peacock took the com uh last year um took it from ed laverick who had a, basically spent a year honing his attempt and he he took it from all the, the world tour pros then Peacock turned up in his jeans and took <laughs> minutes off Ed and uh, that looks pretty much set in stone um, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens although I think rumour is Bradley Wiggins still holds the unofficial time uh, I, I think that wasn't ever put on Strava but uh, when he was at his absolute peak but yeah it's one of those climbs where yeah you can see where you are in the pecking order mm-hmm. whether that's a good thing or not well let's move um, from Mallorca Back to the Asturias, where we started with the Angleroo for your for your third climb, and I'm going to leave the pronunciation of this one to you because this is where things start to get a bit hazy for me. Yeah, yeah thanks for that. Uh, well, the Alto del uh, Gamonitiero, something like that. In the notes for the podcast that you uh, sent across to me, you described this one as, uh, or you included this one because it's better the Ang- than the Angleroo. So why? It is basically the same mountain, um, but this is the back way up. Um, the little known. 
uh, client, lesser used client. It's been used in the world to just the once, which was about three years ago, and it was shrouded in cloud and no one got to see any of it. But it is the most spectacularly beautiful place. It's, you know, it's almost like a, another planet, just rock strewn landscape, really hard climb. The first part of the climb is, is, is another climb, I forget its name now, which is about 10 kilometres of 10 percent, which, which, which really wears you down. Then you turn off into the wilderness, a tiny track with, with, with cattle and various other animals. And yeah, just pure beauty, um, just absolutely stunning road. So, you know, the angler isn't particularly pretty climb. Um, it's famous, but yeah, Gamon Itiero is 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 beautiful. It's hard, um, and you really you know you feel like you're just in the middle of the most special place. Well, it's a bit longer than the Angler. It's sixteen point four kilometers at an average gradient of eight point nine percent, and climbs a couple of hundred meters higher, so one thousand seven hundred seventy meters at the summit. It's also rated ten out of ten. So if you could pick one, one that you had to ride, even though if they're on the same mountain, which one would you choose? I think for the same reason, Sakalobra, if you had to do one, you have to do the Angara because that's the one everyone knows. But you'll be staying locally. So once you've done that, you just, you know, you tack on the other one afterwards. Uh, you could easily fit them, well, so easy. You fit them both in a, in a good day's ride. Um, so you, you can't choose one between the other. How would you describe the Asturias generally, the mountain range in northern Spain that the Anglaru and, and the Alto del Gamontiero come from? It's it's a region that the, the Vuelta passes through on a regular basis, but perhaps isn't top of the riding destination list of many UK cy- cyclists, at least. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's green. It's lush green. You always think of Spain as parched, a desert wilderness. It's not. It's at that top, the whole northern edge from the Basque country across it is lush and green, endless rolling hills. There's hardly any flat. Um, loads of great towns, sleepy villages. Um, yeah, everywhere from Bilbao to, well, St. Sebastian to Bilbao to um, Santander to Oviedo. Um, there's so much culture there. It's it's a great place for a trip. Really is. I think that's one of the great things about your your books as well, in particular one like this that covers the whole country, is that you get individual chapters on the different regions of the country. So whilst we might be familiar with the likes of the Angleru and Mallorca and some of the climbs in the Pyrenees uh, and Girona and so on, you also visit the, the centre of Spain, which is where we, we're going next for number 68 in the book, and that's La Bola del Mondo. Uh, in your notes, you describe it as bonkers. In the, the first line in the book, you say... Uh, this road has been right at the top of my bucket list from the very first time I saw it on TV. It's pure of welter madness. So why is it pure of welter madness? Because you know, until if you're used, no one would ever send a grand tour up this road. It's I, I, I just I just check what, what I the length of the top bit. Yeah, so looking like uh, what was it? Just three kilometres, right? So you've got the the Paso de Navarada, I think it is first. Um, no, Navasarada. So you ride that um, from the north or the south, and you get to this small sort of like ski village because there's snow up there in the winter. And then you take, you pick your way through a few houses, and then you're onto the Bar del Mondo. It's concrete, uh, sometimes slab, ridged, covered in cows, and a hideous gradient. Just really, just nearly all 20% for three kilometres. And and the, th- the thought of sending you know a grand tour race up here, it's just mind blowing. Um, I've done it twice now. I wrote it when I did research the book, and then earlier this year I went out with a few mates and said, we're going here because so you've got to see this road. Um, it nearly killed them. Uh, it's just 
uh, it's yeah it's just just brilliant and, and right at the top of uh, 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 the mountain range um but you can see from miles everywhere it's just a huge radio mast and transmitter it looks like it's like a rocket ship um just wild and, and just crazy well the numbers probably hide some of the difficulty in that fr- they're, they're tough in itself 3.1 kilometers at 12.4 percent but i imagine it's also the climbing that you have to do to get there because at the top it's 2250 meters and in the photo in your book you can see the snow poles so you know you're at serious altitude in spain when you've got the snow poles at the side of the road exactly um and you won't get many road bikes up there it's mostly mountain bikers and walkers it's a good big spot for walkers um and you whatever gear you've got you'll be grinding and you'll be looking for traction and there's parts where it turns to rubble um you know the, the new the new new trend of gravel biking they'll like it up there it's just it feels like you're on, on an adventure yeah you know, you're only an hour out of uh, out of Seville um it's not Seville um Segovia uh which is a great place to base yourself um and yeah it's just again one of those bucket list climbs which I was just really excited to ride and it lived up to expectations a hundred percent how would you describe this this region generally? So, as you said, you're just south of Segovia, but you're kind of northwest of Madrid. Probably not an area that a lot of our listeners are familiar with in terms of central Spain. Um, it, it's brilliant because a lot of people will go to Spain, they'll go to Girona or they go to Calpe. I think this place is even better. You can fly into Madrid um, and it's less than an hour's drive north from Madrid. There's a mountain range called the Sistema Central, which runs all the way across the middle of Spain, ends up in Portugal. Uh, and there's climbs all the way along it. So in between Segovia and Madrid, you can have three or four days of just great climbing, quiet roads. Uh, you get a lot of pros out there. When I was out there, there was pros training. Um, I think Contador does a bit of training around there. or used to. Um, yeah, it's it's just like yeah, you, like you said, you know, a lot of people go to other places near the coast, but it's got a lot to offer. Well, we've been to Mallorca. We're going to jump to another of the islands now. We're going to jump to the Canary Islands for the uh, the fifth climb on your list, and that's the Roque de los Macha- uh, Machachos. 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 Boys. A decent attempt. Uh, sorry to any Spanish listeners for for my botched pronunciation, but um, I, I missed when I was flicking through this when. Uh, putting my notes together before the podcast, that this is one of your 11 out of 10 ratings. And it's 41.5 kilometres. So this is a huge climb. And you say, forget Tady, because this is the one to take on. Yeah. I mean, everyone's heard of Tady, haven't they? And Tenerife and where other pros go to live at altitude. And and a lot of people go out there. Uh, but we, we did we did three islands in that trip. We did Tenerife, then we went, took the ferry, because there's good ferries that link all the islands. We went to La Gomera, a tiny island. And then we, we did... La Palma, which you know, not people, not many people go to. There's only a couple of towns. It's been in the news. There's lots of volcanoes last year. But anyway, I'd seen these observatories at the top, and you basically start you start at sea level, in, in on the coast, and then you climb for two and a half thousand meters, uh, which is just insane. You know, a thousand meters, we passed through the clouds. So from then on, we were climbing above the clouds. So when you get to the top, you know, you you know, fifteen hundreds of meters above the clouds, and all you can see it's like you're in an aeroplane. And it, it, you reach the um, European, all the European space agencies have their observatories. So there's this barren landscape dotted with huge telescopes and big reflectors. It's like, you know, it's like a set of a James Bond movie, right? It, it's really just weird. Um, 
and you know you're climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing to the top and on that day we, we went to the top and then my friend Paul decided he'd had enough but I bullied my mate Ben into going down right to the side of the island to the coast and then to come back up and we did over 5,000 meters climbing in 130 kilometers um it completely broke us it, it, yeah it's just such a spectacular place and 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 so off the radar so if you if you want to accumulate serious ascent in a day then the canary islands whether it's um tenerife or grand canary or la palma in this case that's the place to go because you can as you say start at sea level and get to you know nearly three thousand meters yes a lot of people go to Mallorca. that's the, they're the trailing slopes uh, once you've mastered the climbs of Mallorca, then go to the canaries to, to those islands because there's nothing easy out there they're all big climbs it's you know it's a climber's paradise yeah you know i mean equally um grand canaria there's loads on there um all those four islands are just brilliant not don't go to laughing um sorry Lan- lanzarote and the other one no, they're just flat so mm-hmm. just windy Port- and flat. port of ventura i think that's the, the, one, the yeah. final one yeah i mean this the the, the length here is incredible 41.5 kilometers the average gradient 5.7 is it that attritional factor that earns it it's 11 out of 10 rating or is it just the fact that it's an epic climb in terms of the experience it's just just the experience of being just feeling so high and 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 the top of the world everything i mean the distance of course you know it's hard to quantify climbing for that many kilometers you know you don't want to think of the whole just take break it down to into stages you know you get to the it might not always be cloudy. You get to the clouds, you get to the end of the tree line, you get to the edge of the uh, grass line, and then then you're into this volcanic rubble. Um, and I think it's the island that if they say there's the, the huge volcano underneath it, and if that blows, it'll wipe out the eastern seaboard of the USA. Um, so yeah, you've got a little bit of danger underneath you. It's all likely to happen. Um, but yeah, just beyond spectacular. Well, it sounds epic, and that's how you described it in in the notes to me before the podcast. But the sixth and final climb for us to discuss, you describe as even more epic, and that's the Pico Valletta. And I think it's a climb that you referenced at the very start of the podcast being the highest road in Europe. So this gets to 3,375 metres. You're climbing for 40.2 kilometres, an average gradient of 6.5%. Wow, this is uh, yeah. this is another 11 out of 10. Uh, d- definitely. Um, and this is your last summer... I, it was such a hot summer that year in, in Spain. Every day it was like 36, 37 degrees. So I basically had to set off at the, the crack of dawn every day. So I'd be in the car as soon as it was light, get out and start. And you just go in and go in. I've, I've done the Bonnet, um, Kimi de Bonnet in France, and that's 2,800 metres. So this is you know over 500 metres higher than that. And the air really is thin. I've been there in, uh, when I was younger, with my then wife who drove around and we could I remember the air being thin at the top and I didn't even get to the really the high bit so I really had no idea how my body was going to react a lot of people don't um cope with high altitude that well but yeah you just get on with it and it, it's just just insane it's just yeah you, you can see the curvature of the earth I said it's just you are so high up everything is just you know almost it is like again being in an airplane um and I'd heard bad reports about the road and how it deteriorates, and it does. It gets worse and worse until it, the gravel, which I could just about cope with, just turned to boulders. And I was within half a kilometre of the top, but I had new shoes and I wasn't going to wreck them walking. And I was so high up. And you're just, you're just in awe. You just don't want to leave. You know, I took loads of photos. And 
you know, great social media content. Um, and there's one hell of a descent. Well, I bet we haven't we haven't spoken about any of the descents, but uh, both on the previous climb in La Palma and this climb here in the Sierra Nevada, more than 40 kilometres. So you've spoken about what it's like to go up, but what's it like to go back down? Well, uh, in La Palma, that was particularly uh, hard, actually. We, we we got to the top. There's a little cabin there that sold a little bit of food. It had shut. We had nothing. We actually flagged this camper van down, and these Germans gave us the last of their biscuits, which fueled us. But we were still in a bad way. And 42 kilometres downhill isn't easy. You know, you're still riding your bike when you're empty. And it was just we were just ticking them off, you know, and shouting, 42, 41, 40, all the way down to the, the shore. And, um, that was a really twisted descent, but there's there there two or three ways up the pick of a letter. If you stick to them, I took the side roads going up mostly, but if you stick to the main road going down, then yeah, it's, it's a blast. You know, a proper speeding. And it gets warmer and you get more oxygen as you go down. I'm not a fast descender. You know, I do my best, but I'm no Tom Pickcock. I just, I just, I'm in it just for the climbs and then, yeah, a bit of free speed on the way back. Would you base yourself in, in Granada if you're travelling to the Sierra Nevada? That's that's at the, the foot of this climb, effectively. It depends where you're Because I travel with the family, I have I have to. I like to base myself somewhere where you know, there's a pool, there's the sea. So we, we stayed on the, um, the Costa Tropica, which is a really nice part of the coast. So the kids can play on the beach in the morning or in the pool. And then I go and get the cycling done and then I come back. So it's a bit of a drive to get up to Granada. But there's so, so many climbs in the coast down there. And then the Vela Fique is a bit over to the right. Yeah, there's, there's lots of riding. You know, you go to Granada for a couple of days, you go to Alhambra and see some culture. And one other thing about that climb, the day I rode it, I sort of I took the back road about halfway up. And then I hit the main road and the bike lane was coned off. And I thought, there's an event on it can't be a cycling event because they wouldn't just cone off the bike lane and then i came up to a feed station where everyone was clapping oh this is good a bit of a clap and i get to another one there's a barrier and stuff and by the time i got to the midway point there was lots of people milling around it took a while but it it was the uh, granada marathon which runs from the center of granada 42 kilometers entirely uphill and the guys were going up there like four and a half hours and the lead guy passed me going up as I was coming down and that is just bonkers. Just yeah. running a marathon entirely uphill to an altitude of three and a half thousand metres yeah, made riding up it look child's play. That's what I was going to say, yeah. You, you think riding a bike up this thing is um, incredibly difficult, which it is to anyone, yeah. but to run a marathon up it, that's, um, well, they make them different down there, let's put it that way. Yeah. Interestingly, I did see that Team uh, Ineos did one of their training camps in the Sierra Nevada this year, um, sticking to, to mainland Europe. This is the, the highest you can go on mainland Europe. And often, as we've known over the past decade, they've gone to Tenerife for, for the altitude camp. Why do you think they've perhaps chosen the Sierra Nevada in Spain rather than the usual spot in Tenerife? Maybe the hotel was booked out. It's only, it's only at the, the Parador, I think it is in Tenerife. It's only a small place. And um, since they sort of, well, it was Landsuit started to do that sort of thing but yeah you, you probably got to get your booking in early if you base yourself in the center sort of the ski station at the top of uh well, it's like midway well two-thirds up at the pick of a letter you probably get very similar effects and yeah just reps up and down there all day i doubt they use the really high bit much they won't be going over the gravel um but yeah it seems as good as a place as any to base themselves and uh better transport links closer to home well, we've had a whistle-stop tour of, of Spain. We've been to 
Mallorca and the Canary Islands and northern Spain and southern Spain and into the centre. So thank you for that. And if anyone wants to check out the rest of the climbs in your book, then it's the 100 Greatest Cycling Climbs of Spain, a guide to the famous cycling mountains of mainland Spain plus Mallorca and the Canary Islands, available from all good bookshops, I can imagine. Uh, all good bookshops and online retailers, yes. And Excellent. from my website for signed copies. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, head to what's the what's the address for your website? Uh, www.100climbs.com. There you go. Head to 100climbs.com for a signed copy. Um, what's next for you? Uh, no concrete plans, but this summer we um, we drove down to Italy with the family. And we were driving via Switzerland and back via Austria. So I rode a few Swiss climbs on the way down and a few Austrian ones on the way back, which were awful. I mean, really. Literally, I rode four climbs and all of them averaged over 10%. Um, so I've made the tentative steps towards that. Um, and yeah, oh, maybe I'll start making some more firm plans. But, um, I can't stop. And as long as there's more roads to discover, more mountains to climb, I'll keep going and keep writing books on them. If there was one climb from our six that you would recommend for our listeners as the must ride climb if they're going to book a cycling holiday it's to, it's to take on this climb which of the six would it be assuming they've ridden none of them before oh that's really hard I and mean, they're all special in their own way go and do the pick of a letter it, it'll just blow your mind it, and it'll change your parameters of, of, of what it's like to suffer um and it'll make you a better person all around just to go back to gearing for that one because we we talked about gearing for the anglery where Clearly, the both the length, but the, the gradient in particular is the challenge. Here is it just the, the pure attritional nature of climbing for that long that's the greatest challenge, plus the altitude? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, I have the same gear, the 24, uh, sorry, the 34, 28 or 29. Um, yeah, when I was you know, a teenager, someone said, it's better to spin than to push, lad. When I was lost in the middle of Lincolnshire one day, and it, and it's right, it uses you know once you push it with your muscles, you tire them out. So if you've got a small gear, just spin it up and sit there in the saddle, and you'd be far more efficient. Um, so yeah, on all climbs really, unless it's you know just a minute long when you can you can push through it. There you go. That's the a top tip to end on. Head to the Pico Valletta in the Sierra Nevada in southern Spain and take the easiest gear you can. Um, Simon, thank you for joining us. Once again, you can head to 100climbs.com or, or any bookshop or online retailer to, to pick up this uh, this fantastic little book or any book in the series. How, do you know how many it is you've done now? The so there are 14 now in the series. Wow, 14. Um, I've got a few of them on, on the bookshelves at home, so I definitely recommend them. Um, but yes, thank you for joining us, Simon. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.